Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Stephen Clark. Um, find me on Twitter at Stephen Clark CFC. I'm an Australian fan, um, trying to enjoy the World Cup as best I can. Hi, yeah, and I'm James Vickers, stepping up to the sort of the main show for the first time, so quite nervous. Uh, you can catch me on the Championship Roundtable podcast uh, each week during the season, and you can reach me on my personal Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers. Yes, yeah, Stephen, nice to have you back on, James, as you said. Very nice to have you on for the first time. Uh, we're going to lead in because today, as we record, of course, uh, there have been a couple of big upsets. Germany lose to Mexico, uh, then Brazil end up drawing against Switzerland. This is not the first day in which there have been a couple surprises. Um, obviously, Argentina's draw with Iceland uh, was a shock to some, and then Spain and Portugal drew each other. Obviously, not really a loser there, quote-unquote, or <laughs> literally, because it was a draw. But um, the main point here is that a lot of the teams that were favorites were kind of heralded as these Goliaths that were just going to sweep their way through the tournament have not done that thus far. Do you think this is more credit to the smaller teams for having a good game plan? Or do you think it's more of a detraction from these sides that were supposed to be so incredible as we headed into Russia 2018? It's, it's kind of been a bit of a mixture, to be honest, in both. I, I think that I think that first of all, you've got to look at the tactics some of these teams play. I think that I think that the coaching standard in the international game isn't all that great. I think that you tend to, with these national teams, get a bunch of really good players who get chucked together and can't really perform just because they have too much reliance on one player, in Argentina's case especially. Um, and then they just tend to falter in a well-organized team like Iceland, who a lot of these guys know each other. Um, they know what they're doing. They're really compact. They just tend to be able to hold them off better. Um also just think that this is a really tight World Cup in terms of talent anyway. I think that there's no kind of clear clear front runner really. So I think that um I think that it's just we're gonna see a lot of these games going forward actually. I think it's gonna be pretty tight. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Stephen. I think definitely you only have to look at the Germany Mexico game today. I think quite a lot of the Sort of, I hate using the term lesser nations because everyone deserves to be there on merit, but I think a lot of the sort of less fancied nations is sort of the way I'd put it. Uh, sort of catching up, I think, is the best way to put it. Obviously, with the sort of the main five leagues in Europe now having you know a wide array of, of players playing for them, you know, Mexico probably go back sort of ten years or so. You know, you wouldn't really recognise many of the Mexican players in the national team, and you know now you've got the like the household names of uh, Chicharito, uh, Irving Lozano from PSV. You know, really sort of shone today, and I think the lesser teams are less afraid to have a go at the so-called big teams now. And I think Mexico definitely sort of to, to point onto today's game of seeing the way you know the likes of Argentina have dropped points, and you know for rather than playing been content with finishing third having a sort of to say for them a, a decent world cup they thought you know why not have a go and sort of see where that can take them and i think you know it's no surprise really with sort of the the increase in sort of marquee players coming from these these nations you know the likes of mexico colombia iceland to some extent that they're you know now starting to have a go and and you know look really good to be honest i think Mexico and Iceland especially albeit Iceland did sit back quite a bit but you know most teams would when you come up against a, a strike force of, of Messi and Aguero 
you know, look really solid. And I think definitely as, as the course of the World Cup goes on, I think, you know, we're only sort of just getting around the first round of games. But I think, you know, going into this second round of games, there's going to be even more upsets to come. Yeah, I think those are some excellent points made by both of you. And it is exciting to see uh, these matches where you kind of expect one team to just stomp the other and to kind of lose interest, uh, that there do tend to be some really interesting kind of tactic and heart versus talent matchups. I mean, obviously, that's a lot. Uh, that's very reductive, um, but it has been very fascinating thus far. Obviously, Argentina is one of those teams that struggled against Iceland, as you both mentioned. Um, and then that brings it back to Messi, unfortunately. Why do you guys think that he struggles in crucial pressurized moments for Argentina when he seems to thrive on them so well for his club, which of course is Barcelona? Well, personally, my personal take on the, on the Messi debate is that I think that he's just not the same kind of character that Maradona is. And I think that's always his biggest problem with that when it comes to Argentina. I think that Maradona is the kind of guy that you know, you you watch the the replays of the '86 World Cup, and you see he just pretty much carried the team on his back. I, while I think Messi, undoubtedly, in my opinion, is the greatest player of all time, I just don't think he's that kind of player that can can pick up a team completely and just carry them. Like, and I, I think that when I think that he can be kind of crowded out of a game by eleven like big Icelandic <laughs> defenders, you know, and. I, I think that Ronaldo is much more of that kind of talismanic figure, whereas I think Me- Messi has kind of always benefited from being like the 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 kind of front piece of of a really a really intricate team. I think that Argentina have placed. I just I just think that there's so much unnecessary weight put on Messi's shoulders when in when you look at that squad, there's so much talent there. I, I think that it kind of gets to him. I just think from maybe not a mentality standpoint because obviously playing at the at the very highest level of the game, you've got to have a, an absolutely wonderful mentality. But uh, I don't know when it, when it comes to these Argentina games, I just think that there's you, you see it really wanes on him. And you're watching that game yesterday with Iceland Argentina, and for me, I just saw him every time he was he was he was doing so well. He was he was bringing the ball into the blocks into the box, playing one twos with people like Guerra, and then you just see Di Maria just standing completely still, coming inside, taking the space, and. Uh, I don't know. I personally am finding it quite hard to place it on Messi's shoulders. I know, I know. It, obviously, missing the penalty doesn't help his case there. Um, and with Ronaldo playing so well, the debate's going to come up. You know, the best player of all time, who's the better out of the two? But for me, it's uh, I don't know. It, he's kind of a his struggles for Argentina reflect more for me the the weaknesses of Argentina more than it says about Messi. I completely agree with the the point you made there, Stephen. I think you know there is that over reliance on Messi, where players like Dybala, Di Maria, Aguero should have more focus on them. I think if if Messi was playing, I don't know, say for a team like Poland and and you're Robert Lewandowski, it's easy to to point the finger on him. He is that genuine world class player that they have. Whereas you know Argentina across that front line and midfield, you know there's five or six that I think walk into most teams at this tournament, and I think. To have that much attacking talent and the, the focus solely to be on Messi, I think is, is you know wrong from their expectations. And as you mentioned, when he plays for them, it does seem like the pressure, I wouldn't say gets to him, but you can tell there's that real, 
sort of overhead on him where there's that expectancy to deliver like he does for Barcelona. And I think playing in a Barcelona team where the world-class players around him step up, you know, you like Suarez, Iniesta, who's just leaving Sergio Busquets, you know, deliver week in, week out. And you can sort of point not necessarily the blame at Messi, but, you know, there needs to be questions asked of, of the other players. You mentioned Di Maria, you know, Messi and Aguero play nice one-twos and Di Maria almost been a bystander, really. You know, I think more questions need to be asked of of those players rather than Messi, you know, individually. And I think it doesn't help as well that, you know, you look at the sort of the defence Argentina have got where, you know, Otamendi is probably the only sort of world-class player, I, I guess is the best way of putting it in that in that defensive area. So, you know, as good as they are going forward, there is, there is that real sort of fragility at the back and, you know, that, that doesn't help as well. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely, I think there should be more focus on the players around Messi and not necessarily, you know, the main focus on him. But, you know, when you are the best player in the world, that's always going to come. But I think definitely with Ronaldo, as you mentioned, I think I was having this conversation with someone earlier today. I think looking at Ronaldo, he seems the perfect fit for someone who, you know, would go into management after you can see him on the pitch. And it did make me laugh at one point during the Portugal Spain game. He was always almost berating the manager for, you know, a tactical sort of call that he made. And, you know, I just don't see Messi doing that for Argentina. So I think, when it comes to international level, Ronaldo really, you know, has the team behind him and he can almost lift them. Whereas I think Messi, as you mentioned, doesn't quite have that sort of bit about him in his persona. But, you know, definitely to go back to my first point, I think there needs to be more questions asked of, of the rest of the Argentinian squad. Yeah, that's certainly a good point. Obviously, Barcelona every year can fix whatever holes that they develop a national side obviously less able to do that uh, but you both make very good points there are very good attacking options that Argentina have um, that should be able to kind of take that brunt or at least some of that spotlight away I mean especially like a player like Aguero who basically stepped into the Premier League and said I'm the best striker in the Premier League and there was nobody else to really challenge of course until uh, biasedly speaking uh, the <laughs> Harry Kane era here um, but on the other side I mean he had that individual moment to score the penalty and didn't. And I think that, that that's part of a mentality shift. If you like watch his body language between Argentina and Barcelona, it genuinely could be two different men. When I said Argentina, anytime anything goes wrong, he either looks straight at his feet or straight to the sky. Like it, it doesn't really feel like he's part of the Argentina team, if that makes sense. Like like the spotlight has been exclusively on him for so long that anytime he messes up and it's like, oh, I can't believe I messed up. Anytime anybody else is, else messes up, they're like messing it up for him. I mean, obviously, I'm not in his head. I, I don't want to claim to know that. But uh, just body language-wise, it is very, very different. And you could tell after the penalty, after the match when he was ripping off the captain's band, he it feels like he's at a loss. Like, he doesn't know what else he can do except, like, his penalty record for Argentina, not very good. Like, that's something that you could do. It feels like... Uh, I forget which TV show it was from, but it was like, uh, we're all out of answers and we've already tried nothing. Like, <laughs> there there are things that could be done uh, to improve, but it feels like a mentality thing to me. And, and it feels crazy to sit behind a microphone and talk about Messi's flaws as a player, especially after things he's done for the club. But on the countryside, it's just not there. And maybe he had to have more success at Argentina at a younger age. Like, maybe if he had built that confidence early on, 
we wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing now. But as for right now, I am not very confident that Argentina will win matches when he puts on a kit. Again, as you guys say, the squad inherently not as good. The midfield provided very little yesterday. Obviously, the defense there are question marks around. Um, but it, it's not a very good situation for Argentina. And kind of like what we talked about in the previous topic, all of these big sides have question marks in their squads. Like there were a couple like Germany and Spain were heading into the tournament. And you're like, that, well, that's about as perfect as you're going to get, but we're starting to see flaws in them as well. Um, and I think Argentina's, yeah, is the squad and the fact that Messi it has proven thus far incapable of just like lunging them forward in those huge moments. I mean, they got to the final last year, or last year, last World Cup, which is obviously no small feat, but they weren't able to win that one after, I think that one went to extra time, if memory serves, before, uh, yeah, before Mario got to score the winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> we we kind of talked about before we hit record, just just so that I stop rambling, just that it would be great if we could stop having this conversation. But his inability to seal moments like this is why we still have to. All right. On a more uplifting note, um, the hosts Russia had a huge win uh, on the opening day. Obviously, it was against Saudi Arabia, one of the poorest performances I've ever seen at a World Cup. I'm sure you guys have your own thoughts as that as well, but. That a little bit to the side. It was a huge win nonetheless. Uh, so how much do you think the win did come due to the opposition? But also, how far do you think they can go in the tournament? I Straight, straight off the bat, uh, the, the result, I think, was massively due to the opponents. I think that Saudi Arabia are a really, really poor team. I Obviously, um, watching a lot of Australia, I got, I got to see them when Australia played them in the in the Asian qualifiers and even under Bert Van Marwijk, who's now the Australian coach, um, they, they were horrible. And uh, and to be honest, I wasn't too surprised to see them concede that many goals to Russia. But, you know, you got to give Russia credit where credit's due. They scored the goals. They did look impressive on the day. Um, I think it was a big event for the players in the country. And I think that kind of seems a little bit like a one-off to me, but... Um, when you, when you look at teams like Uruguay and their group, uh, um, but then at the same time, you know, you score five goals in your opening game. I'm I'm going to find it pretty hard to to see Egypt making up that goal difference if it comes down to that, which it probably will when you look at the fixtures. So I can see Russia making it into the second round because of their goal difference. Now, um, any further than that is 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 pretty pretty unrealistic, I'd say. But, you know, I, I think that Russia, you know, got their big marquee win. Um, I think that it's exciting to see players like Golovin um, put in performances like that. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I think that I think that hopefully the Russians enjoyed that because I don't see it lasting too much longer. Yeah, I think definitely you mentioned Golovin at the end there. I think there was a lot of focus on him going into the World Cup and I think he really delivered, you know, to get the the goal and the two assists that he did. And I think sort of as to look at it from an off-field point of view, I think, you know, there were a lot of concerns going into this Russia World Cup about, you know, sort of fan behaviour and, you know, there was more focus off the pitch in the build-up to it. I think exactly what the World Cup needed on that, that opening day after the opening ceremony was, you know, a comprehensive Russia win to 
almost settle the country really and you know to go out and put a performance like that I think if you could have chose any of the the 30 or the other 31 teams at the World Cup for Russia to play on the opening day I think Saudi Arabia would have been most people's picks and you know obviously they could have been overawed by the occasion but to go out and put in that performance you know albeit against a, a really poor team you know you can only beat what's in front of you so you know delighted for them to to get off to a winning start and to go on to your second point, Kev, sort of how far I think they can go. I think I agree with Stephen that, you know, realistically they should get out of the group. I think Egypt, you know, as good as Mo Salah is, I don't think he can sort of carry them single-handedly through to the knockout stages. I'd be very surprised if he did, especially with that goal difference now that they've got to make up. So I think definitely into the, the first knockout round, you know, who they get, you know, remains to be seen. We've we've had a, sort of other teams in other groups work out. Uh, you know, it, but it could be, be anyone. Spain or Portugal. You'd assume. Yeah, should should be. But yeah, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the big teams sort of dropping points. You know, I I, <laughs> I was uh, chatting to someone earlier and saying that it'd be just like England to go and beat Belgium and win the group now and end up playing Germany, who you know would had finished second, for example. Um, On penalties. So, yeah, well, so, um, yeah, um, yeah, I think definitely the the first knockout round is a possibility for them. You know, once you get to, to one game knockout football, anything can happen. You know, you only have to look as I go back to that Germany-Mexico game earlier. Germany not turning up and Mexico having a go. If that's a knockout round, you know, Germany are uh, sort of packing their bags as we speak. So I think definitely getting out of the group, you know, they should accomplish that and, it's going to be sort of interesting to see how they progress as a side. You know, they've got some very exciting players in there. I mentioned Golovin. Uh, Cherishev came off the bench for Zagorev and, you know, really took his chance and, and shined in that game. So I think once they get to that knockout stage, obviously I don't, I think, I don't think many people would say they're going to win the whole tournament. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the mood in the country shifts once they do get knocked out. Um, you know, it's, it's been relatively sort of quiet on, on sort of the news front off the pitch at the moment in Russia. So, you know, for their sake, I hope they go deep in the tournament and, you know, we have sort of a peaceful World Cup with no sort of crowd trouble. But yeah, I think definitely uh, the, the first knockout round is, is where they should be aiming for. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points. And James, you do make a good point that even if it is Spain or Portugal, um, these big sides have shown to to have weaknesses, although you'd assume that the, the talent would overwhelm uh, at that stage. Teams getting a little bit of momentum by then. But uh, undoubtedly, regardless of whether or not their, their journey stops there, just to have this kind of day for a home nation, and again, the home nation has never lost their opening match uh, in World Cup history, uh, but just to have that kind of result, especially after Russia really struggled in their friendlies leading up to the World Cup. Obviously, they didn't have to go through qualifying. Um, but the fans were very upset with the with the setup, with the players, with the manager heading into the World Cup. And then to have that kind of first moment um, was probably equal parts uh, incredible to watch and also surprising, which probably made it perhaps even all the more sweet. Um, I, I agree, though. I, I think the goal difference really helps them uh, if Egypt get there. I think Egypt needed that draw against Uruguay, lost it just at the death. Um, I think that really could have made this group more interesting, but as it stands, it, it does kind of feel like it's going to be Uruguay and Russia going through in some order. Um, obviously, Russia were very impressive there. Some of the big teams we mentioned, a little bit disappointing. But for you guys, if you had to isolate one of each, one that impressed and one that disappointed, uh, which teams have done that for you this tournament thus far? 
yeah, in terms of impressed, it may, it may actually sound pretty strange, but I, I'm actually going to go with Spain. Um, <laughs> hear me out. I, I, I think that I think <laughs> that if you look at if you look at all three of the goals they conceded, there is a touch of fortune in all three. I think that while defensively they may not have impressed, I think that players like Isco and uh, Diego Costa, um, even David Silva to an extent, all looked fantastic to me. And I think that I was just look, looking at the, the options they brought off the bench. I think that each of them added to the team. Even Koke, I think, had an awesome game. I think that um, just their some of their attacking link-up was, was excellent. I think that they look a real threat going forward. Um, yeah, if they can sort out that kind of defensive issues and if they're obviously not going to come up against a player like Ronaldo every week every game so um I think they I think they really impressed me and I think that um just to chug a, a second one that impressed me I think that Serbia looked really decent today but in terms of um disappointing um I probably have to say probably probably the most disappointing is is Argentina that, that I've seen so far I think that I was really looking forward to seeing kind of if they could put it all together finally after all these years. And um, to, to not see Dybala start, I thought was, was pretty naive. I think that, yeah, it just, as Di Maria, I don't think really offered much at all. I think that it was all very methodical. Everything went straight through the middle. They didn't use the width at all. I think that um, all the everything had to go through Messi. Um, I think that the, de- the defense showed why everyone's been questioning them. I think Fazio didn't look that great. I think Otamendi didn't offer too much. And yeah, I think that Argentina could be a real candidate to to crash out at the group stage, which should be just disastrous. Yeah, I think uh, sort of to go with teams that impressed me first, I think to look at the Argentina game from the other aspect, I think Iceland and, you know, to speak as an England fan, what they did towards in the Euros, it should be no surprise. But I thought they were, you know, solid at the back. You know, Finn Bogerson took his chance very well. Uh, quite a difficult chance to take, sort of looking back on the replay. It sat up to him. And to finish that coolly, you know, in, in a World Cup against one of the favourites, you know, no easy feat. So Iceland, definitely, you know, I think they can. I don't think they'll have a run as, as good as they did in Euros, but I think they will sort of surprise a few people this tournament and, you know, further cement themselves as, as one of the not necessarily the best teams in Europe, but one of the solid teams that, you know, people shouldn't take lightly when they're drawn against them. The other team that impressed me, and again, to go on to the the opposite side of the game that you mentioned, Stephen, I was really impressed with Portugal. I thought going into that game, you know, albeit Spain with the drama surrounding their managerial sort of appointment and getting Fernando Hierro in sort of the day before the, their, or the tournament starts, I still fancied Spain to to comfortably beat Portugal, but, you know, Ronaldo in particular, um, albeit, as you mentioned, there was a slice of luck with each three of the goals. Uh, you know, the second, especially, you know, David De Gea, you'd, you'd back him to save that shot, you know, 99 times out of 100. But, you know, that one time it goes in, I thought Ronaldo was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, really, for a player that has done so well in European championships, but never really had that standout World Cup that gets people talking yeah. about him and Messi as the best ever, you know, sort of, I was really surprised to to learn the stat that, you know, World Cups before this one, he's only scored two goals and, you know, to eclipse that in, in the first game of the tournament, you know, is fantastic for him against, uh, you know, one of the favourites to actually win the whole thing. Very good by him. And I was really impressed with sort of the discipline of the, the Portugal side, um, 
especially to go behind against Spain and you know Spain probably the best team in the tournament at keeping the ball to to get back into it and you know snatch the point that blows that group wide open where most people would have thought it'd be Spain first Portugal second you know there's it's going to be a straight shootout almost for for who goes through in in first place and who goes through in second place so that group will be certainly interesting to to keep an eye on the one that I was going to go for for disappointing me and following as much Bundesliga that I do, you know, looking at the German team and players week in, week out, I was, you know, really disappointed with Germany. They had struggled in sort of the the friendlies building up to the tournament. They didn't look too convincing. But, you know, as, as an Englishman, you always know that Germany turn it on on the, the sort of the big tournaments when it matters and everything that we've come to associate with Germany under Jürgen Lowe in sort of the last couple of tournaments was, was not there today. There was no discipline. There was a real lack of uh, solidity at the back. You know, Berteng looked a, a shell of his former player. And I don't know if that's injuries catching up with him. He's missed a large portion of the season um, through various sort of niggling injuries this year. And we were talking off air that, you know, I can't believe, especially with the pace Mexico had on the break, that a player like Rudiger didn't start for them in defence, especially knowing sort of the issues Boateng has had. I thought uh, Joshua Kimmich was really disappointing. Again, the the amount of space that he left for Lozano to, to exploit down that German right-hand side was frightening at times. And it, it looked like men against boys. And, you know, if I'd have said men against boys, Germany, Mexico before the game most people would have assumed i'm talking about germany so to sort of see it the other way around and you know mentioned on commentary numerous times that lack of sort of pace up front for germany you know the questions are going to be asked about leaving leroy sane at home and i think jürgen lowe has got one of the first real sort of difficult periods now obviously we don't want to get too hung up on just the one defeat you know i'd still fancy them to go for in their group but i think he's got a real difficult couple of days now until their next game. And it's, he's really going to sort of have to earn his wage over these next few days to, to see what they need to change and, you know, correct it quickly. That's the beauty of a world cup. You know, the games come thick and fast and there's no time to sort of dwell on a defeat. You know, you've got to pick yourself up and, and go again. So Germany would be the team definitely for me that have disappointed everyone else has sort of dropped points, but got a point uh, if that makes sense in a draw. Whereas Germany, you know, it got beat in the game and we're probably out of all the sort of quote favorite teams so far the one that looked sort of the worst <laughs> is the best way of putting it uh, actually on the pitch so yeah definitely them as the team that disappointed yeah I'm, I'm gonna start on the other side of that exact match i thought of all the teams that played a big team i thought mexico played the best they came out with a very decided play style that they were going to kind of counter at pace with just two or three players um not to make kind of an overuse Leicester analogy but the specific style in which they did it where most of the team stayed back and then the attacking players which tended to just be somewhere between two and four of them with everybody else holding their positions um, was very ingenious and it was a tactic that we saw during Leicester's title run where the later in the match it gets the more you need a goal the more effective that tactic is for for the uh, opposition because then all of a sudden you're committing numbers forward now instead of it being two to four players against your three now it's against two. Now it's just the center backs. And we talked about before we hit record um, that we knew that Germany had pace issues in their back line. Um, and so we, we certainly saw that. As you mentioned, Kimmich kind of kept getting undone on his side. Um, but it felt very 
it didn't feel like luck. It felt like this was the tactic that, that Mexico aimed to use, and it worked brilliantly. And uh, you, you mentioned, um, I think, Stephen, it was you that was saying the level of management in the international game isn't as high. I mean, Yuhi Lo has been highly praised for years, has been linked to big jobs, and he said, no, I'd rather stay with Germany. Um, and he has obviously done incredible things. But how do you not have a reaction to that tactic for 90 minutes? Like, there was, there was no response. Mexico could do in the first minute what they did in the 90th minute, and there was no change to it. Um, I'm not going to get into who should have been in the squad or who should have been in the 11, but just tactically, you, you have to have a response to that. And he just didn't the whole time. Um, and so I, I kind of think, um, James, to your point, Germany was very disappointing, but I don't think that takes anything away from what, what Mexico did at all. Um, so I was yeah. very, very impressed with what they managed to do. And I'm, I'm so- going to – sorry, what? I was just going to say to quickly jump on that point as mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, for Mexico to put someone like Carlos Vea, you know, an attacking player that you wouldn't necessarily associate with sort of disciplined defensive work, to have him sat on Tony Kroos all game and yeah. really be that focal point of starting the attacks worked, you know, absolute wonders. And yeah, Stephen was saying the the managerial sort of level in international football has gone down recently, but I think the Mexico manager got it absolutely spot on today. Yeah, yeah, great point. Again, it's the other side of the same coin in this match. Um, but yeah, I think Argentina probably were the team that were most disappointing and that they didn't really feel that dangerous. Like, it felt like all their danger ended as soon as they got to the penalty area. Um, whereas the other teams seemed to have their moments. I mean, Brazil had loads of chances today. Just just were unlucky in front of net. Um, Germany even had their chances against Mexico, to be fair. Just weren't able to capitalize there either but but Argentina it just felt it just felt kind of pointless at times obviously if he's if Messi scores the penalty then they're through but we've already been all over uh, all over that so uh Argentina gonna be the side that disappointed me all right now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests all right, and we are back. Uh, Stephen will lead in with you as we've been doing. Um, obviously, in, in the France match, Australia, at least from a neutral perspective, I thought put in a terrific performance. Unfortunate result. Is that how you viewed it? And also, is it promising or concerning? Because promising, the, like I said, the play was very good. Probably means you have a better chance against teams in the future, but a little bit disappointing because if you had picked up uh, even a point here, it would have done you great favor in terms of trying to advance out of this group. Yeah, so, so coming coming into this World Cup, it was it was interesting because obviously we had the fairly late managerial change. Um, we didn't know kind of what to expect shape wise and tactically from Bert van Marwijk. I mean, we we suspected it would be a bit of a defensive, bit of a um, bit of a kind of um, try try and destroy tactic, and um, kind of maybe collect something on the counter. Um, but it was actually I, I found it more pleasant to watch than kind of your, your typical thuggy performance I, I thought that um thought that we were really compact at the back i thought that um really we we can, we defended really well we um used the offside trap quite a lot um mbappe only really got behind our defense after about four minutes and after that we kind of learned our lesson with that and we're a lot smarter and used our fullbacks to kind of track his runs um i thought that i thought that our midfield looked terrific um uh, yeah, I, I was I was I was really pleasantly surprised by kind of how we, not only how we started the game. I I did think that if we could keep them, if we could keep France scoreless after twenty minutes, I think we'd be in with a shot. Um, yeah, but just that that whole first half performance, I thought we played really well. I thought that you know our main issue, from my point of view, is that we just don't have anything going forward. 
um, in terms of goal scoring threat from open play. Um, so I knew that was going to be our issue. Um, then going obviously into the into the second half, just chaos opened up. We had the we had the first ever VAR incident, um, which was interesting. I did think that was a penalty, so I didn't have really much to to argue with there. Um, and then obviously it was um, pretty pretty harsh to to lose on that that own goal. Now it's been awarded to Aziz Bayic as an own goal, not Pogba's goal. Um, yeah, that was that was obviously obviously disappointing, especially because of how late it came and kind of it, it felt like. It felt like France didn't exactly earn it. I felt like we were, maybe this is my Australian bias, I did think that we were the, the better team, not in, maybe in terms of attacking-wise, but just in terms of structure and in terms of in terms of overall team play. I felt like we were really in control of that game without being in possession. And, um, yeah, obviously it feels, <laughs> it was pretty crushing in the moment to lose the game. But, you know, looking back, we can kind of be happy with our performance. Um I think that we do have a chance going into these games against Peru and Denmark. Obviously, we're going to need to pick up a win now from from one of these two games to have any kind of chance of going through. Now with Denmark winning their opening game, um, I, I do I do see it. I don't think we will get through the group now. I think that a draw would have really bumped up those chances. But you know, I think that we can we can take we can kind of take our performance in this France game and then try and propel ourselves forward. This is definitely the, the thing, the thing about this performance that is kind of the best thing is that there was really no expectation going to this world cup. We kind of have a, a squad that is got nothing really going forward. Um, defensively is fairly inexperienced. Um, and in, in the mid, in the midfield is our, probably our strongest point, but we, there just was no expectations. We're kind of in the in the middle of our generations. We have a really good we have a really good young team, um, and we had obviously some a really good generation just gone past with the fragments of you know Tim Cahill and Harry Kill and Swartz, all these guys. So yeah, I I didn't really expect too much coming into this World Cup, um, and I was I was pleasantly surprised by our performance against France. Yeah, you just mentioned Tim Cahill there, and I wanted to follow up on that. He led Australia in goals during qualifying, didn't take part uh, in the match against France. Uh, I'm sure many neutrals also wondering, uh, where was he and why was he not used? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that that was a big question a lot of me and my family were asking while watching the game. We're, we're calling for, for Cahill to come on, maybe to, to score, score a light goal. I, I think probably it was due to the fact that it was one all until the 83rd minute. I think that Australia didn't really want to roll the dice until then. I do think it was surprising we didn't maybe chuck him on after that after that own goal. Um, but yeah, in terms of the qualifying, he he kind of wasn't really a major part of qualifying until the the second half to maybe even third quarter of qualifying. Then he scored a lot of big goals. Obviously, made kind of a renaissance in the team. Um, and yeah, obviously being at age 38, he's and he's only he's not playing at as a high level as we'd like him to. He's kind of there more as a talismanic figure, and maybe someone we can chuck on in the last kind of minute to roll the dice. I wouldn't suspect to see him really play. We do, we do have, like I said, I, I'm not too confident in our players going forward, but we do have young players, people like Jamie McLaren, who I think is an, an interesting option, but we didn't play him either. Um, yeah, it's it. It's it's probably not. You'd you'd, you'd expect to see Cahill at this tournament at some point. But yeah, I, I do think in the France game it was probably due to us obviously being 
being in a good shape for most of the game and not really requiring him in that game until very late on. Yeah, uh, the player that did start up front was Naboot, uh, if if that's how you say that. Um, was not particularly impressed by him. Is, is that somebody that uh, has potential and just didn't show it, or is he kind of a bit of a nothing forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've personally, I don't see much in him at all. I don't think that he's he's kind of a little bit of a nothing player, in as fairly as you can say that. I don't think he's particularly great at at one specific aspect of his game. I think he, he's kind of he can do a little bit of everything, but I don't think to the to a high quality stand. I personally mentioned a guy before, Jamie McLaren, who I would love to see um, start for Australia. He played for my local team, Perth Glory, for a long time and um, has been kind of a regular in the A-League for a while and made the made the move over to Scotland and um, has done decently decently well for himself. He, he's just a player that's kind of a bit more energetic, a bit more, he's got a bit more about him, I, I feel, and and pro- could probably do a bit more damage, be a bit more, he's got a bit of a pace, which I think in the boot, while he, while he is probably a bit more of a technical player compared to McLaren, I think that I think that Australia are really going to live and die by counterattacks and by people that can latch on to balls from from um, Aaron Moy, and I don't think that Naboot really offers that much in that regard. Gotcha. All right, uh, coming to you now, James. Talking about England, obviously they have not played yet, uh, but curious as to how you view. England's chances at this World Cup. We kind of mentioned it with Jamie on the last show that the media tends to be up and down simultaneously about England's chances. But with Belgium the only super strong side in this group, surely you're fairly confident that England can, can progress. Yeah, as as confident as I can be. I've I've always learned not to get ahead of myself with England. You know, every tournament we seem to have the same conversation about how it's our time. And then, you know, the disappointment sort of inevitably follows. So not getting ahead of myself, but, you know, as we mentioned earlier, seeing how all the the other so-called big teams have struggled, you know, does fill me with some confidence. If we can go out and put in a performance against Tunisia, I think more teams will sort of take note of us. There's sort of around the media this time around, there's been a lot less sort of focus on the team is probably sort of the the way I'd put it. Normally, you know, the the nation gets wrapped up in this World Cup frenzy and, you know, we really build ourselves up as this team that is going to go on, we're going to win the tournament. And then after the first performance, you know, even if we, you know, get a draw or a narrow defeat, as the case was against Italy last World Cup, you know, a team that, you know, we're always there or thereabouts, even though they haven't made it this time, that negativity comes straight away. And I don't think that that helps the players, you know, in the slightest, especially with the sort of the way Twitter is nowadays, you know, players have access to all this sort of press uh, when sort of years gone by, they wouldn't see sort of national papers been away. So yeah, as you mentioned with the media, especially the Raheem Sterling stuff that goes on, which sort of as, as someone who does a bit of podcasting and that kind of thing, I don't see, obviously, you know, you need to sell papers and that kind of thing, but I don't see where the gain is. You know, you run an, an article hyping everyone up for the World Cup and then you go in, in the same publication, put something that, you know, is, is getting at one of our plays, you know, just doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, there we go. Um, but, yeah, going into the, into the World Cup, quietly confident that we can do well. I think the real sort of mood around the country is... As long as we can, you know, play well and not have a repeat of the Euros where we sort of struggled for the group, that 
sort of Euros run was really sort of uh, the Wales game sort of papered over the cracks, really. Um, sort of winning it in the last minute against one of the other home nations. You know, we saw how bad we were against Iceland. So, sort of, from my point of view, if we can get to the knockout stages, which, as you mentioned, Belgium being the only other sort of big team in the group, I'd expect us to do. I'd be thoroughly disappointed if we didn't. I think we, if we can get to the quarterfinals and run up against someone like a Germany or a Brazil and go out sort of to them, but go out trying and playing well, no complaints from me. Um, so, yeah, quietly confident, but I've learned over the years not to get ahead of myself when it comes to the England national team. Yeah, and then obviously there's been a lot of pressure, hopefully not Messi-esque pressure, already heaped onto the shoulders of one Harry Kane due to his uh, performances for Tottenham. There was even an article about him in the New York Times today, which didn't describe him in a very favorable light. Um, if you want to go through some of the quotes of that, it was pretty amusing. It was more attacks on his character than his ability as a football player. Um, but uh, just curious if you think he's the kind of player that can kind of lead from the front. Of course, he was recently given the captain's uh, badge. Does that make you any more confident? Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk about who was going to sort of captain the side. Obviously, Jordan Henderson would be a candidate. You know, usually sort of is a midfield player or a defender that gets the captain's armband. But, you know, no complaints from me over Harry Kane. I think while he may not be the most sort of vocal on the pitch, you know, he is that one genuine world-class player that we've got at the moment. And, you know, the likes of Ronaldo and, and Messi, obviously I'm not comparing Harry Kane to those two. I'm not getting ahead of myself um, of myself. But he's one of those players who doesn't need to say a lot on the pitch. You know, he leads by example in his performances, as you mentioned, Kev, for Tottenham, you know, speak for themselves. So I think Harry Kane as captain, you know, smart choice. And what Gareth Southgate has really sort of done well is he's created almost a togetherness, which sort of, obviously, I don't know how the camp is from, from the outside looking in, but it would appear compared to previous years and, you know, all the interviews that the players have done, he's really sort of rejuvenated a squad which, you know, the majority of these players did play at the Euros under Roy Hodgson. And, you know, he's really got the camp sort of back together. There's a, a really good mood and feeling around the camp. And I think, you know, Harry Kane seems well-liked in the squad. And having him as captain, you know, he's one of the younger players in the squad. But a lot of players do, and rightly so, you know, respect him see how well he's done it at club level. And, you know, hopefully for us, he can take that Tottenham form into uh, into the World Cup. Yeah, we mentioned some of the other big sides uh, having some flaws. If there was a gap in this England squad, where do you think it is? I think definitely, and I wouldn't call it sort of a flaw, but I think it could be our undoing is, is the fact that while we have taken quite a young squad this year, you know, that sort of comes with a bit of inexperience at international level. We've got quite a lot of players who are sort of 15 caps and under in the squad. And, you know, while they've had sort of experiences at Premier League and sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, John Henderson playing in Champions League finals, there's that real difference when you make the step up to international football. So I think especially the Tunisia game, you know, he's going to be sort of a potential banana skin. I'd still fancy us to, to win the game uh, tomorrow night as as we're recording this on the Sunday. Um, but I think, you know, our one weakness might be that sort of inexperience at international level, um, you know, but at the same time, looking at it the other way, that comes with sort of fearlessness as well. And, you know, we, we were talking about Mexico singing their praises 
teams have been fearless against these so-called big teams. And I'm not saying Tunisia are a big team that we need to be sort of going after, but for them to come into this tournament, and as I mentioned, the sort of lack of hype this time around, there's there's a really good sort of feeling around the squad. And I think, you know, these young players will go out there, they'll express themselves. And I think compared to, and I hate using the term, because it always used to annoy me, even when I was younger, the golden generation of, you know, your, your Beckhams, your Lampard, Gerrard, Skulls, there seems to be no real sort of egos and sort of players who think they're you know above the rest of the team um this time around so while that inexperience you know could be our undoing i do think as well you can look at it on the other hand as as one of our strengths as well and it's going to be really sort of exciting and interesting to see you know how we do get on in the tournament yeah obviously uh england a very big side very heavily listened uh portion of the map uh to this particular show so uh certainly wishing them the best of luck uh, next up, we'll hit player watch. Um, we'll lead in with you again here, uh, Stephen. Australia already played. We couldn't do the whole thing being who most impressed you in your most recent match because England haven't played yet and our third guest dropped. Uh, but for Australia, who was the player that impressed you the most uh, in the match against France? Yeah, it was undoubtedly Aaron Moy for me. He, he absolutely dominated in the midfield while he didn't always have possession of the ball because Australia kind of struggled to to gain possession in that area. When he did, he was decisive. He um, put the ball in for the um, Teddy handball and led to the to the penalty. Um, he looked composed completely. Um, I've been a big fan of Aaron Moy for a long time and it was really satisfying to be him, to see him picked up by a team like Huddersfield who was kind of in the championship going to play this forward-thinking football, and I've really enjoyed watching him kind of grow as a player. He he was fantastic in Australia. He was obviously probably the best player that we've seen in our domestic league, and pro- probably ever, to be honest. He led the, um, he led the Western Sydney Wanderers to win the, um, the Asian Champions League, and um, yeah, just completely dominated over here, and I've, I've, he's actually kind of struggled to, to, to break into the Australian team, um, which is it's very surprising to a lot of people. But, um, yeah, he's kind of really found his feet in the last uh, probably 10 to, 10 to 12 months. And he's, he's really become a, a really key part of our team now heading going forward. He, he's easily the most technically able player that we've seen in Australia for a long, long time. And uh, I just, he's also just a type of player that we don't see in Australia. He's obviously not as good as someone like a, a Kevin De Bruyne. But he, he, he is that kind of player who can kind of dictate the game from midfield and play passes that nobody else can see. And put a ball on someone's head from you know fifty yards away. So he he was he was excellent, and I really look forward to kind of seeing what he can do against Denmark and Peru heading forward. Yeah, is that the player you would tell neutrals to keep their eye on the most, or is there somebody else that uh, may, may be of interest to others? Um, yeah, I obviously tell people to keep their eye on him. But for me, I really think that Massimo Lalongo is is really an, has is an Australian player with untapped potential. He he didn't make the team this week uh, in this game, sorry, but I think that he should play going into the next two games. So I'd keep an eye out for him. He he was decisive in our in our Asian Cup win um, a few years back, and um, despite not having the best club career so far, he he has been one of the better players for QPR when I speak to QPR fans, and. Um, yeah, I, I think that he's he's always been effective for Australia when given the opportunity. And if we do play a three-man midfield with Yednak sitting, I think that Moy and Luongo in the midfield would, would run right. 
Cool. Also, Massimo Luongo, former Tottenham Youth Academy uh, product. So uh, a little a little biased favoritism towards him from this side of the microphone. Um, coming to you now, uh, James, who for England should people be keeping an eye on uh, for you, aside from Kane, who, of course, we just mentioned? Yeah, it's, as I mentioned earlier, the lack of sort of... Obviously, we've got a very good squad this year, but the lack of superstar players, I think there's going to be a lot more sort of uh, of a team sort of element with us this year so to single out sort of a couple I think and it's probably the first tournament I'm going into where there's a real case for one or two players in each position rather than a nailed down 11 so I think Jordan Pickford uh, and that's not me being biased as a Preston North End fan that he was on loan for us and did fantastically I think he's gonna have a, a really good tournament he has sort of shone in quite a poor Everton side last season Um, did fantastically well at Sunderland in the year they got relegated so for him to sort of come into this tournament I'd expect him to start over over Jack Butland and Nick Pope I think he's going to impress a lot of people and I think the way that Gareth Southgate wants us to play sort of passing out from the back and adopting a more sort of European style of play I think Pickford is going to be sort of crucial to that with his distribution Um, and then sort of to work forward I think Kyle Walker who you know, under Pep Guardiola at Man City has really developed into quite a ball-playing defender, obviously, and you're probably the best person to ask, Kev. Um, and I don't know if I'm right to assume this, but sort of seeing him at the Tottenham, he, he seemed to be that sort of classic wing-back for me nowadays. You know, pace going forward wasn't necessarily the best at defending and, uh, you know, looked a bit suspect at the back. But I think Pep Guardiola has really sort of developed him and, you know, to play as sort of the right-hand centre-back in a back three or back five, whichever way you look at it. Um, I think he definitely, for sort of more to see how he plays rather than for people to keep an eye on that he is going to play well, um, is one that I'm sort of quite intrigued. In our few warm-up games where he played there, you know, he, he looked you know more than confident in that position. Mm. But, you know, that warm-up games, it's, it's when you get to the crunch of it where it's really going to matter. So, Definitely Kyle Walker for me is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, And then to go forward, I think the one player who he may not necessarily start, but sort of looking at, you know, our predicted lineup, he might, but, you know, you could make a case for about four or five players uh, to start in this position. The one that I'm probably tipping ahead of the likes of Deli Ali and Raheem Sterling, who I expect to have good tournaments anyway, is Jesse Lingard. And, you know, while he may not be on the same level yet as a Sterling or or a, a Deli Alley. He's proved, you know, time and time again for Man United that he is that player that steps up in the big games and, you know, he he always seems, whenever I watch United in, you know, a cup semi final or something like that at Wembley or or in a big game against one of the, the other big sides in England. He always seems to be that player that he may not necessarily be having the best game, but he'll pop up and get a goal when it really matters. And, you know, to to have someone who can do that, especially in an international knockout tournament, um, sort of getting past the group stage is, is absolutely vital. So I think Jesse Lingard definitely for me is going to be that sort of dark horse sort of in the England side that, you know, the focus might not necessarily be on, but I think he's definitely going to have a, a good World Cup and, you know, um, sort of from, from my point of view, really hoping that he does because, you know, that'll lead England going a, a long way. Uh, and then the other player, you know, has sort of rave reviews wrote about him. He's His form's dipped off a bit this season, but, you know, you'd expect that of a young player at some point. I think Marcus Rashford is 
is going to be one. You know, we probably won't start with Harry Kane sort of taking that that forward berth. But to come off the bench, you know, he came off the bench in the Euros and was one of our only real players that could sort of hold his head high in in those last few games in the Euros. So for that impact, and we talked about Germany's lack of pace, to have players like Rashford, Vardy, you know. Sterling Alley or Lingard, whichever one doesn't sort of make it into that starting eleven, to have people like that coming off the bench now, I don't think there's many defenses in this tournament that fancy you know coming up against a Jamie Vardy or a Marcus Rashford after sort of 60, 70 minutes. So yeah, I think while they may not necessarily start, you know those players have got just as important part to play off the bench as well. So yeah, Rashford, Lingard, um, Walker, and Pickford would be my sort of England players to keep an eye on over the tournament. Yeah, bringing up um, Kyle Walker is definitely an interesting one because we've, as you said, we've all seen how good he can be as a wingback, especially over the last two or so years when he really established himself as the best at that position in the Premier League. Um, but this move to center back, I honestly wonder if a it's it's to deal with the issue that Germany has, so the the pace in the back line. But a lot of the English center backs aren't necessarily just towers, you know. Um, aside from Cahill, who Obviously, never really had that much pace and has already lost some of that not so much pace. Um, but I think the main point with Walker in this side playing as a center back is to facilitate having both him and Trippier in because the delivery that both of them have is incredible. Obviously, Trippier a little bit better uh, from wide areas at crossing, but Walker far more dangerous uh, to opposing defenses than that he can stretch them. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they constantly kind of rotate to the right some so that both Trippier and Walker can get forward a little bit. Although we have seen him make some interior runs, uh, obviously much more in the mold of an actual center back. Um, but his pace and size are, are incredible. I think the center back shift is an interesting one. I don't think it's one that I would have done. But as I said, it does facilitate both of them. And for those uh, playing at home, what side is that? Uh, the right side with Sterling up front. So now you're worried about Sterling, who's probably going to try to cut in. You have Trippier overlapping, who's one of the best crossers uh, as a defender that I've seen in recent years. And then if Kyle Walker also can manage to get up there, then his pace is lethal as well. Um, it's it's really going to cause some problems for whoever's defending there, especially Belgium, who have no real left back. I mean, they've played Vertonghen on and off there for the past five years. Um, but there's not really a solution there. So I do think that that's going to be a very interesting setup. The only issue with Kyle Walker playing more centrally is that every once in a while he still makes some dumb mistakes. And when he's doing it at right wing back in front of a back three, that's limited by whoever your right center back is. But if he's one of those center backs, the amount of space in between where he makes an error and the back of the net is much smaller. Um, but that's that's the only uh, concerning side. But it, it could it could very well work out. Yeah, right. I completely agree. Oh, sorry, sorry. yeah, to cut you no, off. No, yeah, com- completely agree. And I think as well for Southgate, it really gives him sort of another option. If you know, obviously we're going to play this three slash five back, however you want to look at it. If in games, you know, against Tunisia and Panama, especially, I think it'll sort of work really well for us. The fact that, you know, if you do need to change it and and shift to a back four and shift Walker out to right back and then push Trippier forward with his delivery, you know, you don't have to waste a substitution to get the players on to adapt to that formation. You know, Walker playing as a centre-back, but then can also shift, as you mentioned, to a wing-back, you know, really helps out Southgate. And, you know, I think it gives us a lot more flexibility in, in in sort of in-game management and being able to adapt to different game situations, which, you know, we haven't had in the past. So definitely, yeah, 
uh, I think it's going to sort of help us in the long run. Yeah, that, that squad flexibility is an excellent shout as well. Uh, from there, we're going to move into match previews, which will be the end of our show. Uh, we'll lead in, we're, we're switching it this time, just because I wrote them down chronologically instead of in order of guests for some reason. Um, but James, we'll stick with you here. Obviously, the match against Tunisia, in theory, not that difficult, but we've talked about the Giants kind of struggling against quote-unquote smaller sides thus far. You said you are confident in making it out of the group, though, so I assume that means you think you'll be picking up a result tomorrow as we record or today perhaps as you're listening yeah i'd fancy us if i was to put a bet on obviously i'd, I'd go with england to, to get three points in this game i think for us playing second as well to see how belgium get on you know definitely i think they're going to beat panama i don't think there'd be many people who would give panama a shout but you know this world cup expect the unexpected i guess um but yeah for for me looking at it i think the best way to sort of describe it and to sort of see how the squad has progressed is the algeria game um i think it was last world cup where we drew and there was that famous sort of clip of wayne rooney coming off after the game sort of staring down the camera sort of having a go at the england fans who'd you know traveled all the way to support them um it's for me set up as like a similar tie to that Algeria game one of these tricky sort of banana skin nations where you should win but there's always that potential for an upset so I think for us to get at them early like we did in the two warm-up games against Nigeria and uh, Costa Rica is absolutely vital and I think the earlier we can get the first goal I think the better it'll settle the nerves for the tournament and you know there's apart from the Russia game there's not really been a big sort of victory scoreline wise so far this tournament so if we can get an early goal you know Tunisia will need to come at us and we mentioned that pace on the break you know you brought it up Kev with Walker, Trippier, Sterling Uh, you look on the other side Danny Rose if he plays um, you know Rashford and Vardy coming on and I think if we get an early goal we can really sort of take the game to them and and put a couple past them so I think the longer it goes on at nil-nil I think uh, people will start to get a bit more restless, you know, as is the way with the majority of uh, the England fans. So an early goal is absolutely crucial, I think, you know, in the first sort of 20 or so minutes, really settle the nerves and announce ourselves into the tournament. But yeah, I'd, I'd expect us to win and, and then go into that Panama game full of confidence on uh, sort of a week today, next Sunday. If I had to press you for a result? I'd, I'd like to think we'd keep a clean sheet you know sort of looking at Tunisia there isn't really a, a standout player that worries me um, obviously they've got to the World Cup on merit so they're going to be no sort of pushover in the same way that you know Saudi Arabia were um, but if I was to go scoreline wise 3-0 is, is probably the one I'd go for um, which sounds silly of me to say as an England fan uh, normally I'd say you know we'll scrape it one 0 with like a, a last minute sort of deflected goal uh, after a goal line scramble, but you know confident this time round and yeah I think three uh, nil comprehensive win to, to get our tournament underway. All right, coming to you now, Stephen. As you said, if you picked up a point there against France, you wouldn't have really needed to win uh, this coming match against Denmark. Um, they did not put on an exactly inspiring performance, although Christian Eriksen always a threat. Uh, what do you think we're going to see in this one? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to see a bit, bit of a bit of a tentative game. I, th- I think that um, I think that we're going to see Australia come into it with that structure again. I think we're going to be a little bit more confident um, than we were going into the France game. I think I think we're going to see a little bit more expression, hopefully, in the final in the final third of the pitch from Australia. But I do expect us to go out of the tournament in this game. 
I can't, I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist, unfortunately. I, I do think hopefully we can, um, we can pick up a, a draw, maybe a one-one draw or something like that. But that would still see us go out of, out of the tournament if um, France were to beat Peru. So um, I'm, ho- I'm hoping for, hoping for an exciting game. I'm hoping for us to kind of go on the front foot, knowing now that we do kind of need, need a win realistically to stay in the tournament. I do actually wish that we were playing Peru in the next game because I think that. I think that despite Peru's attacking flair, I think that I think that we could probably we could probably scrape out a win against them. Whereas I think Denmark are probably a little bit more a little bit more experience in their ranks, a little bit more of that top echelon of talent. And I think that that tends to show in these in these tense games. And the scoreline for you? I'd probably say a one-all draw. That would be probably quite frustrating for you, uh, but hopefully yeah. you can pull out. Uh, the win for your sake. Uh, guys, that will do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, um, yeah. you can always find me on Twitter at uh, Stephen Clark CFC, where I talk about Chelsea and about Australia for the World Cup. And um, yeah, I'm also writing for um, the London is Blue podcast, guys. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers, where I tweet mainly about Preston North End and quite a lot of German football. And I also host the Sister Shows uh, podcast, the Championship Roundtable. And you can follow us on Twitter at Championship Pod. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, you can also find me over at Goal, where I write about their fantasy game. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Of course, the show you can find at EPL Roundtable. And as always, you can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.